This week on Overtime, we are all over the place. Ezra chapter 3, we talk about building a team. We talk about expertise. We talk about hearing the voice of God. It's, it's, it's incredible. Make sure that you like, subscribe. Let's get it. Welcome to Center City Overtime, a weekly podcast where we take a little more time to dive into Sunday's message and, while it's the fall, to dive into the Panthers football schedule. Go Panthers! Because... If you weren't watching last week, Pastor John is, you're trying to earn your place in the fandom? Yeah, I figured, would say? yeah I figured that that's the best approach here is that I would submit application and then they would accept me. Yeah. That's the, that's the goal. Yeah, you're, you're being harder on yourself. I guess other people were harder on you because I was like, we'll take you. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. What did you think about the game Monday night? Well, seeing that we're recording this before <laughs> the game, um, I'm going to predict the win. That's good. Uh, we're playing at home against the Saints. I'm trying to remember how well the Saints look this year. They got a new quarterback themselves. So my guess is... That offense is going to take a little while to gel. Our offense is taking a little while to gel. So maybe Bryce Young feeds off the crowd, and I'm going to say three-point win. I like it. I like it. I also think that it's funny that you always make fun of me for showing behind the curtain and talking about how we pre-record, but the moment I try to put you on the spot by not acting like it's Monday (laughs) and acting like it's Wednesday when this comes out, you're immediately like, well, we're recording this before the game. (laughs) You know. (laughs) So. Yeah. Go Panthers. Go Panthers. Go Panthers. I'm excited. It's going to be a fun game for sure. Yeah. I'm glad it's the earlier Monday night game. Yeah, absolutely. um, I love the Panthers, but I love my sleep too. Well, and it's supposed to be like low 70s, high 60s. It is perfect football weather. I know. And. Dom behind the producer's desk. You're going tonight, right? Oh, yeah. I'm excited. Yeah. Yes. You need to cheer like triple loud to represent all of us. I got you. I got you. Okay. Love it. Love it. Okay. Well, that's about all we can say since there hasn't been an actual (laughs) game. Um, But, you know, I wanted to honor the moment and talk about the Panthers. And now let's get into Ezra. Let's go. Ezra, this week, um, this was, this whole series has been just... um, cool for me to see because it is so personal to you. We even talked about how like a lot of times I do this game where I'm driving to church on Sunday morning and mentally I'm like, if John doesn't get there for some reason, how am I going to preach this message? It's just a good exercise. It is for sure. Um, But this one, every time I'm like, I don't know, like the Lord is just speaking to him so personally, like, so I'm glad that you've made it every time, even though you did have a little car trouble. There I was did, a it was moment. close this week. <laughs> I did, I had it pulled up when you walked in, I had your notes pulled up, but, um, but shout out to my doppelganger Blair who had offered to get up <laughs> and do it. Love to hear Blair preach uh, on the Sunday, I know, be I know, but, um, but I think this is kind of jumping to the end and then we'll back up. Part of why this is so personal is that it's not just where God has you in your study right now, but it seems like God is speaking to the season that we have just kind of had as a church absolutely, and about where he's taking us as a church. So I know that it seems weird to start with where you ended on Sunday, but I, I want to talk for a minute about this really radical prayer that you had yeah. that God would show you the floor and what that means, like what that meant when you prayed it. And then we can talk about what that means now as we go forward. Yeah. So in the middle of the pandemic, um, you know, we were four months into a church transition. I was trying in my head to figure out the the date on that, but it was about four months, five months. Yeah. I think it was, it was March. 
It was March of 2020, and you came July 2019. Okay. So it felt like a blur. I mean, it was things were still not settled down yet, but yeah. it had been. It was kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, and you know, we were experiencing like, like normal pastoral transition, specifically when you transition from a founding pastor. Um, there's, there's kind of an ebb, ebb and flow to that. And I knew it coming in, I, you know, walked in kind of eyes wide open and I did not. So I'm glad yeah. you knew. <laughs> well, I had read a couple books. I had talked to a couple of my friends who had navigated transition from, um, founding pastors, which again, sometimes can be a little bit tricky. Um, and we were just kind of seeing God's hand move and he was being super faithful like he always is. And, uh, you know, new people were checking us out. Um, old people were sticking around. It was it was a good season. People who'd been there for a while. Yeah. Not necessarily old people. <laughs> well, <laughs> some of them were old but um, and are still old, but including myself. But um, with that said, um, you know, it was to go from that to calling the staff on the phone and basically saying, well, they've shut us down. Like, we can't do church. So... I, I guess we're going to figure out how to navigate this odd season of isolation and seclusion and church is now a video feed coming from my house. And with, everyone else's houses, which meant you were driving all over town all the time. Absolutely. To pick up um, like thumb drives or for me, the camera that I yep. recorded on, it recorded directly to it. And I'm such a rules follower that I was like, I won't go out. So, <laughs> so you guys would drive and just park in my apartment parking lot and I'd be like, here you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving it at the bottom of the steps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a crazy, it was a little bit of a crazy season. And then, you know, even as things started lighting, lighting up a little bit, lightening up a little bit, and we were like visiting from time to time, like creating like uh, family gifts and dropping them off on people's doorsteps <laughs> just to let lobbies. you know. Mobile you lobbies. Yeah. That was a lot of fun where we were meeting in different parts of the city. Um, so that was an incredibly... Uh, it was a, just a different time. And, you know, a lot of people were like, well, I love that season. I didn't have to, you know, I could work from home. It was a little bit easier. The work, the, the workload was a little bit lighter. Uh, and for us, it was the exact opposite. Like the workload went through the roof and creating content and it feel like the church turned into a uh, video studio, um, which was a blessing in some ways. We were prepared for it in ways I didn't know we needed to be prepared. God just really... And you in particularly, like to be the new pastor who came in from the perspective of someone who had been here before with your skill set, particularly how it relates to production and even being able to do a podcast like this, that seemed like such a timely gift to us also. Yeah, but what was challenging in that whole time is knowing who we were, mm -hmm. right? So like, uh, even from a very elementary level, like who is Center City? I mean, we are months... And, you know, because we're closer to the city, um, we had pockets of churches in North Carolina that opened up a couple months before we were able to. Mm -hmm. um, some of that has to do with where they're located. Some of that has to do with population and, and the... Um, and the size of the building. The size How of the building. Yeah, all kind of issues of that nature. We try to do like socially distanced church, which is like get 12 people in a room. <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. Which we measured with a two by four that was six feet long instead of using like a tape measure or something, just if you want a mental image. Oh my gosh, it was crazy. <laughs> we were crazy. Um, anyway. But knowing... <laughs> Uh, knowing who we were is critical because it's tough to build when you don't know who you are. Like, what's the foundation? So in the middle of that all, the Lord really did inspire a prayer. And I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but for me, there's been just moments in devotional or moments in prayer where I just sense like God saying, ask me for this. Mm -hmm. um, 
And I began to pray that the Lord would show us the floor because the idea in my head almost instantly was we can build, but I got to know what we're starting with. I got to know who we are. When you say the floor, like what, what do you mean non-metaphorically by show us the floor? Again, so um, I didn't at at the beginning know exactly what I was praying because I'm being prompted by the spirit. But within a couple weeks, really, it just became show me who's foundational, like who are the people now in the church context? Um, we are not a building. I've said that a million times, but even within the scope of, um, what we're doing next. So you design programming around people. You never design people around programming. That's weird. So you design programming around people. You design, you know, kind of how you're ministering to people. If you don't know who the people are, how are you ministering to them? So Mm -hmm. for me in a really practical sense, like, who are you surrounding us with to lay down this foundation? So those people become the foundation of what God wants to build. And so, so many uh, of those, uh, of, of that season, so many of my prayers were, who are you calling, who are you calling to come together? What does that look like? Cause even from a really practical place of like, how do you minister to people if you don't know who's connected? Mm-hmm. You know, someone's in the hospital. Do they attend your church? Do they not attend? Like, are they like from a really practical place? Yes, you can't go in the hospital anyway. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, but even p- prayer requests, like, you know, th- oh, it, it just, all of those things become challenging. So really fundamentally that prayer of show me the floor was just define the people who are all in heart and soul that we can, when this thing is done, come together and even in preparation, come together. Because that was one of the blessings of that season was a season of preparation for us. But once we figured out where the foundation is, then we can start building. And I'm really excited about like the last several months since stepping out of the pandemic. We really have had a season of building. Mm-hmm. The Lord's been faithful. Uh, and a lot of it's because that foundation has been solidified. We found the floor and now we're building. Yeah, I love that. And I wanted to start there just because I think it's a good picture of what God is teaching us through the book of Ezra. So um, we find ourselves this week in Ezra 3, right? Mm-hmm. And they've um, so now they have gone back to Jerusalem with the permission of King Cyrus. And they had their festival of tents that we talked about last week. And it's it's finally time to like get to the construction work and they're building the foundation. And yet so much of what Ezra talks about in that book, I think that it's Ezra, but what the book of Ezra talks about yeah. is um, the people that were doing the work versus like not the specs of this is exactly how it happened. And you made a really great point on Sundays that so much of what we're doing when we're building, it can't be just about us. It's about who we bring in at the very beginning. And, um, and you said something that I wrote down word for word. You said, don't let your ego shut the door on the people God is asking to come in. And, um, and I just thought I would ask you a little bit about how you see that happening kind of as a trend and then how we can recognize when our ego might be getting in the way and put it aside to be able to invite people along. Yeah, I, I do think it's interesting that we are three chapters into this book named Ezra and we haven't seen him yet, which I love, <laughs> absolutely love. But with that said, like, um, I, I, I've just been around people where um, what God has placed in them is so personal, which I understand. It's so personal. It's something so deep that we have a hard time submitting to the idea that God would use anybody but us to build. Mm-hmm. Um 
And I've even worked with some people where that control mechanism with them. So hey, John, you don't have to call me out on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I would never do that. I would never do that. I do have this tendency though. Yeah. God is speaking to me through you. <laughs> oh, good. Um, there is a tendency to get so intimately connected to what he's building or stirring in you to build that we, f- we, we feel like then it becomes all about us. And often what ends up happening is God's stirring leads to me putting my hand to the plow to the point I'm not allowing anybody else to do anything because somehow now I'm finding my value in the thing God's calling me to build versus the God who's called me to build. So when we've placed our value on the thing God's called us to build and we forgot the God who called us for the build, a couple things happen. First of all, our pride and ego begins to infect the plan. Mm-hmm. Now it's got to look a, a way that's acceptable to me. And there's times where God's calling you to build something that has nothing to do with you, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, I've, I heard it from a preacher and it's been a life model of mine. Um, he did a whole message and at the end he made the statement, shout out Joe Phillips. I love this statement. Mm-hmm. He said this and I love that. I've kept it ever since. He said, my goal here isn't that you would remember my name, but you would remember the God who sent me. Mm-hmm. And and really, when we're building with that mentality, the hope is that this thing points people to Jesus, whose name is on the plaque on the side of a building. I could care less. Like it that that doesn't. But when you're so intimately connected, and your pride and ego gets in the way, one of the things that happen you have to be careful of is you can ruin the plans of God by infecting too much, injecting too much of yourself in His plans. Mm-hmm. The other thing that can happen that I think is scarier is you can create kingdoms that point to your fame instead of his. Um, and 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 just just a little side note here, I think we're going to be all over the place today. That's okay. But I think where we get this confused is we think success in the world equates to successfully carrying out God's plan, mm-hmm. and that's not always the case. You can build incredible things in your own name. Um, and at the end of the build, it brings no glory or fame to God. You haven't moved a needle for the kingdom, but by all external eyes and barometers, you've done it. You mm-hmm. understand what I'm saying? Yeah, it sounds like the Tower of Babel. Absolutely. We have become infamously, I mean, just throughout scripture, and even when you look around today, there is so much that's been built. And according to the world standards perceived as success, that has actually drawn people away mm-hmm. from the fame and glory of Christ. So I think it's critical to remember, and one of the reasons why God surrounds these men and women in, in the building of the temple is because, I don't want to go too far here, Solomon seems to have a lot of fingerprints on that temple. Mm-hmm. This temple doesn't have the same fingerprints. Does that make sense? Like, I just feel like this temple becomes the temple of the Lord and there's no other kind of famous scribe to it. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's true. Cause it, we really call it Solomon's temple. We do. When we talk about that temple versus the second, the second temple is, is not known by any particular person who built it. So I, I do think, and again, that's not to uh, ascribe any pride or ego to, to Solomon. Like I'm not trying. I mean, read a story yeah. and it doesn't end very well. Yeah, but there is there is this nuance that if we're not careful and we don't surround ourselves with the right people, 
it becomes about what we build and we find our identity getting lost in what we're building versus the God who calls us to build. Yeah, and I think even the joy of it yes. gets sucked out, whether it's successful or not in our understanding of success because we're wearing the weight of the whole thing instead of recognizing that it's God's work and that he's also going to provide the resources both in actual things and then in the people who are going to help. And I don't know, I feel like sometimes it's when I've taken on that burden of something God's asked me to build as though now like God's going to ask and then walk away and then it's all on me to do it. Um, that even if it's successful, I'm miserable. And if it's not successful, I'm miserable because I'm failing God. Um, that just, it takes away that prescribed joy that we talked about last week. I also think it's and it, it reminds us that um, the work of building is often more people than anything else. Mm-hmm. It's informing and building people and mm-hmm. to allow the spirit of God to use you in those administrative ways, in those ways of relationship to help build people. We don't like that answer mm-hmm. because it's messy. I'd ra- it's easier to build a building than to direct people to build a building. Does that That's make true. sense? Yeah. So I think we don't like the idea that and I'm hearing this more and more within the scope of the church world. So I don't mean to make this a church world podcast, but um, I'm hearing this more and more and it's bothering me a little bit. This idea that somehow we can separate people from the process of pastoring and it becomes this, well, the church is functioning more as an organization. So what type of leader do I need to be for the organization? And I just, I just want to scream, um, the organization doesn't need your leadership, the people of the organization need your shepherding. And that, again, not that everybody is a phenomenal shepherd and we can walk down the APES giftings all day long, but I do think there is a part of this that um, even in the build of the foundation from the beginning, it's about people. Yeah, you talk about bringing people alongside for the build that have expertise, wisdom, and ability. And I love the way that you broke these three things down on Sunday, but um I guess I have two questions kind of related to this. The first is for those people in a building season, particularly if um, they are not necessarily younger, but it's a new venture that yes. they're stepping out into, how do, how do you actually go about finding people with expertise, wisdom, and ability to come alongside you on that team? So mentors need to be sought out. Um, you don't trip on mentors. That's not how that works. And often... I, I think churches get it wrong sometimes where they communicate this idea. I do love the idea like, hey, find the mentee. But as a mentor myself in the season that I've been in even recently, like I can find the mentee, but I got to motivate them. And then it becomes awkward. Whereas when a mentee seeks out, seeks out a mentor, they're more motivated, right? So um, specifically, if you're younger, you're looking for people that you know have been to places you want to go. So if God is calling you and stirring you to build a business, find a business leader. You're like, well, John, how do I do that? It's, it's the same way. Like, how do you find a shirt distributor? How do you find? So Google. I mean, in a lot of ways, as odd as that sounds, um, networking, like, mm-hmm. um, I know my, my sister's a great example of this. My sister, Lisa, who is in the construction world. And often she'll tell you about some of the organizations that she's a part of. Because in those organizations, she's going to find women in the construction field that have been doing it longer than her. And there are women who are going to find and seek her out that, that she's been doing it longer than them. 
And that mentorship mentee relationship is critical, but you have to do the work. Like there's not an easy way to that. And I will tell you, um, I have found that there's a lot of mentors waiting um, and there's not a lot of mentees seeking. So I would say um, cold calls. I, I know that sounds crazy, but cold calls and emails, you'll be amazed specifically if you're adding value. Like, so, hey, can I have a cup of coffee with you? I'm, I'm a young entrepreneur. This is the thought. Um, I'd be able or be willing to help you in this way, this way, and this way. Because sometimes that in that exchange, they sense the value of it. Mm -hmm. um, I, I would say that uh, specifically like um, within, uh, if God is stirring you to, to build a ministry, I would find ministry that's already happening that's in that vein. Well, John, I'm doing something incredibly unique. That's great. And it's kind of cool to say, I'm sure. But if you search hard enough, I promise you someone doing something that looks at least a little bit like that. I, I have never had an issue specifically in youth ministry. I like I was quick to jump on the phone and call the youth pastor who was serving a community that was like mine, that was seeing some form of success. Um, and then I'm quick to um, adapt adapt but not adopt like not everything is i got to do it exactly how they do it but i'll adapt it to work within the scope uh, to contextualize it within the scope mm -hmm. of my people and what god has had uh calling me to do so yeah i do think mentorship is critical there's been mentors in every season of my life there's mentors in my life right now I, you know uh, I know you've probably heard this name over and over on this podcast, but Mike Fields is a huge... Oh, that's huge, fine. Who I was thinking oh, no. you were going to say. <laughs> yeah. I was waiting for Billy Cole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, that's, that was... And he still, in a lot of ways, is. But even then, I need mentors that I can have a cup of coffee with, mm -hmm. with within 20 minutes of where I live. Like, that's a huge deal to me. So Mike Fields is a huge mentor of mine. Rick Ross, I'll make, make a phone call. Um, you know, helps me with my bars. Just, <laughs> just kidding. Rick Ross, mine. Uh, superintendent, just a <laughs> phenomenal man of faith and has been a, a mentor in my life for years. So mm -hmm. even this week, gave Rick a call. Last week, gave Mike a call. Uh, there is not an expectation, by the way, that these guys call me. Mm -hmm. Now they do because they love me and I love them, but there's not an expectation of that. One of the biggest mentors in my life is Frank Canador. And me and Frank are on the phone two times a week, three times a week sometimes. Um, but there's never a part of me that feels like I'm waiting on Frank to call. If I need Frank, it's on me as a mentee to pursue mm -hmm. the mentor. Yeah. And I would say I've had cold call situations where I never heard back. Yeah. And then times where people have been overwhelmingly available and like even someone that I set up a phone call with a couple of weeks ago who's um, not necessarily like in my program at seminary, but much further along in ministry experience. We had our conversation, answered all of my questions, and then I just got a book in the mail that was like, yeah. hey, I thought that you would enjoy this, which is obviously while I'm in semester, I don't have time to read a book. <laughs> so I was like, I'll read it in January. But, um, but yeah, so I would also say don't be um, discouraged if you try once or twice and no one hears back, but just keep going because there are times that people will hear and respond and God's usually in the Absolutely. in the mix of that, making sure that you're connected. Well, with the and right listen, people. if you're having a hard time hearing the word no now, wait for the build because you're going to hear the <laughs> word no quite a bit. You got to kind of grow comfortable mm -hmm. with it. Now, the next question I have to ask about that that I was thinking about Sunday as you spoke was, you know, I usually stay pretty practical in my thoughts, and I was like, well, 
God can't be calling every single person at the same time to be the one who's orchestrating this big build and then bringing people alongside them. I think we do all have dreams and purpose that God puts in our heart, but what would you say to someone who is maybe in a season where the focus of what they're doing is going to be one of these people who comes along with that skill or that expertise to support a vision that God has put on someone else? What does that look like in the context of the build? I think you'll be surprised for a lot of people. It seems very similar. So the stirring in my heart, maybe the build this big thing, mm-hmm. um, the stirring in that other person's heart that God's kind of partnered with maybe to build that specific thing. Mm-hmm. So um, if you think of it in scope of a building, my sister uh, Lisa introduced me to the guy who actually builds uh, or manages the building of the site. And he said something was crit- like amazing this week. He said, if you have questions about the bill, see Lisa. And what he was talking about is financial. Mm-hmm. If you have questions about the building, see me. So they're building the same thing, but God stirred them up uniquely to handle two different things within the same thing. So when I consider the kingdom of God here in Charlotte and what God is doing in Center City specifically, um, I've heard already two or three people that were like, man, God is doing this in me. And another person say, man, God is doing this in me. And what I love is some of the synergy of trying to bring those things together Mm -hmm. um, to see how God partners people. So I don't know if there's a huge, well, I'm not building my thing, but I'm going to help somebody else build their thing because technically... I'm not even asking you to build my thing. I'm asking you to partner with me to build his thing. So yeah. it's a little bit of a different perspective in that scope. But with that said, there, like there, there are things that I partner with people in and that, you know, it's there, the thing that God stirred in them and I'm coming alongside, I'm going to partner with them. Actually, I still do that till this day. Um, I think you just need to be excellent in the thing that God has placed in your hand, your craft, mm-hmm. right? Um, that you're wise, that you become an expert, that you spend time in that ability, training, continue learning in that actual thing that God's kind of gifted you with. Um, Keep your heart open to those divine partnerships that you can partner alongside of and say, hey, we can help in this season, I can help in this season. But I do think you need to create strong boundaries to say if there's something that God is building in you that you're not so wasted building everything else. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that helps, but... Yeah, it does help. And I I guess one of the things... It goes kind of back to that ego, too, is like sometimes we do really think that it has to be our thing. Like I need to start the business versus I need to find an organization that's already going that aligns with this thing that I think God is asking me to do. Um, And so I don't know. I think it can be tempting sometimes to be like, well, if God's put this in me, then I need to be like the the top of that, like the CEO of that or the president or that sort of thing. Um, But really... Jesus is the head of Always. the work of the church. And um, and so that's helpful for me because I even think it's weird that I have trouble understanding this because as the associate pastor, yeah. like a lot of my time and hours is poured into what you are leading in, even though it doesn't at all feel like, oh, I'm executing John's vision today. Um, it's very much, I feel like God has called me to this and this is what he's asking me to build alongside you under the leadership that you provide, but... Um, Which is a challenging balance, because there are times where I understand, like, it, it, is, it is really intentional that the Lord has called me and my wife into this mm-hmm. season, 
to lead Center City in this mm-hmm. conglomerate of people that we call church, right? Um, and he has surrounded us with incredible men and women. You know, I can't gush enough. I'll be here all day just bragging on our incredible team, right? So he's called this conglomerate of people together, and then he's kind of put this this staff in place. And and but even then, a lot of that was kind of motivated through the leadership of my heart and the way that he's kind mm-hmm. of molded and shaped me. And I have no problems making tough calls because really at the end of the day, that's the the best form of like the best idea of leadership that I've always loved is, you know, leadership is the one who makes the tough calls. Right. So I've had no problems making the tough calls. And like, this is, this is what I feel like God is saying we need to go and move. But in the same breath, you want to also make sure that you carry that balance that says, no, we're building this thing together. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, another rabbit trail, but you may not remember one of the very first things that you taught in staff meeting when you came on as lead pastor. You said, if you're not regularly having tough conversations, you're not leading. And I had never heard that before. And I still think about it all the time. Not that you're seeking out and like trying to create tough situations, but just leadership is this idea of you constantly are stepping in and having to have difficult conversations. Absolutely. Thanks for that. Kind of messed my life up. <laughs> yeah. Had a lot more tough conversations. Since. There you go. <laughs> Surprise. Um, the, within that, before we move on, um, you talked about expertise, yes. which is something that we don't actually talk about very much anymore. Um, and the expertise requires time. And I, I guess like some of it, I think, was a good warning for us to be careful who we listen to because someone who's had two months on YouTube to tell you these things is not the same as someone who's had a lifetime of learning and practicing and developing a skill. But I also just want to ask in a world where it seems very easy to get distracted and kind of bounce from one thing to another, how do we narrow in on the way that God has gifted us and what he's put in our heart to develop expertise and not end up at the end of our lives with like, well, I spent two years doing this and five years doing this, and I still don't feel like there's this thing that I have developed an expertise in. No, that's a good question. Um, I, I also don't think everybody ends up experts. I mean, so yeah, that's fair. Um, <laughs> I do think that you might say like a yes. mom has expertise that her children, her children, like I don't think it's expert in the way yes. that we define it, but I do think everyone has the opportunity to develop expertise. So I, I, if the question is how do I make sure that I'm, going to end in this place of expertise, the answer to that is pick a thing and stick to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no, there's no other way of saying that. So then John, how do I pick the thing? Well, what makes you light up? Um, what's the thing that the Lord's placed in your heart that, 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 you know, people laugh, like I can sit at a, a tablet or a, a, a drawing pad for hours, like literally. Uh, there was a couple Saturdays ago where uh, it just because of the nature, I was also feeling a little sick. I got to my kitchen table at about a, a 10, 30, 11 o'clock because um, I had, again, slept in. I was feeling horrible. Opened up my iPad and I didn't move till 7.30. Now, what else did you do? Nothing. I literally just sat there and drew like the whole time. That's just a part of me. And then, uh, there's other things that I do that, uh, that, you know, I've worked at a long time and I don't say that yeah. I'm, I'm an expert at it by any stretch, but... I have hours. Um, it, it does. What's the thing that you feel like God that brings you the most life? I will also say that that doesn't always mean it's the easiest thing that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, there's times where that's a hard thing. 
that you have to keep working at and keep working at and keep working at. Um, I think the temptation though is if I'm not good at it in two weeks, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, as Dom, the producer, knows, even when it comes to things like video editing and graphic design, something that he started kind of playing with, like when you were 18, right? Yeah. So what are you now? How old are you now? Uh, well, I still well, no. We started at 16. 16. 16. And 18 you're, now. You're 18 now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Sorry. So you started that when you were 18, yeah. and now and now I'm 18. <laughs> um, but he started at 16, and now at 18 years old. He's a lot further along. Is he an expert? Not by any stretch. But if he continues on this path, now again, YouTube numbers, the, the influence of social media at this point, well, two years, shouldn't that be enough? No, like that's mm-hmm. just, it's not, it's not where expertise comes from. Expertise comes from time. And what the other thing people don't like talking about, we didn't spend too much time here, expertise also comes from failure. Mm-hmm. You gotta hit your head a couple times and realize, oh, that didn't work. I should probably not do that again. So yeah, that's a good point. Um, but I will say that there are people who will move from thing to thing. And there's, there's also nothing necessarily wrong with that. But I do think once you find that thing, you need to stick to it. And that that's what moves us to expertise. There might even be an underlying expertise that looks like I'm working for XYZ companies. But then you realize like, oh, there's kind of this... Um, this string of how I function on every team that I'm a part of. Yes. That. So I'm not necessarily yes. meaning that you're no, going to be totally an expert right. at each skill the way that we just immediately think of skills. But I do think even if you're changing careers, yep. there still might be things that God is developing in you. And if you put in that effort, they can become expertise because you're like, oh. Yeah, I think that my fear, though, is in, in, in our current day climate, we just don't give time. Mm-hmm. So like I was listening to a guy or the other day. Or we fail once and think that that means that must not be our thing versus what can I learn from this to keep going? Yeah. So there was a, a guy online the other day that um, caught my attention because he's a uh, deconstruction word that we love using. <laughs> and he actually became kind of internet famous for his deconstruction. And um, he's 24 months away from his big declaration of I'm not sure about this Jesus thing. And 24 months later, he's like, I might, I'm, I might not be totally sold that, that I'm right. I, it, Jesus may be a, and I instantly was like, this guy is apologizing because it's taken him two years to figure something out. I mean, it, of course, if you didn't come out and make such a public declaration, mm-hmm. you probably could have done this two years in, in humility and silence and developed a stronger relationship with the Lord through that diligent work Mm -hmm. that nobody saw. But because there was such a public proclamation of it, now what's been removed from you is the time necessary to figure it out. We don't give people time to figure it out. We become obsessed with this idea that if it's not overnight, it's not worth doing. And uh, I'm sorry, even your marriages, you're not going to be an expert in your wife overnight. And you can, well, we dated for 12 years. Well, yeah, but the minute you have to wake up next to a person every day, it's a different thing. It's a different animal. And then just when you learn them, surprise, they change again. (laughs) So um, it's the nature of our humanity. We want everything now. And yet expertise says no time. But this is the beauty of it. I can benefit and learn from the expertise of others. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I absolutely love that. Like, 
Dom surrounded himself with graphic designers and video editors, and he has a pool of resources he can pull from, right? I have surrounded myself with men and women who have built churches and their, their expertise is something I can lean into. I love my conversations with Mike Fields because he has seen things that I haven't seen yet. And the great thing is because he's humble in how he mentors, I can actually avoid some things because he's hit his head on it and he's quick to say, dude, I screwed this up. Here's what you can avoid. And I love that. That's the beauty of expertise. That's awesome. I wish we could stay here forever, but we can't. Okay. And I want to make sure that we talk about kind of one of the last points that you made that is, I've never caught this in reading the story of Ezra, probably because it feels so uncomfortable to me that I've like skimmed over it and kept going. Yeah. But when they, um, I guess when they finished the foundation, is Mm -hmm. that when this happened and they got together and we're celebrating and look at everything that God has done. There was the celebration going on, but at the same time in the same gathering of people, there were people who were weeping and weeping is not like that solitary tear. Weeping is like dramatic, at least the way I understand it. It's you're not going to miss the fact that there are people weeping in a crowd And yet there was nothing about like, oh, the people who were weeping needed to move along or they dampened the celebration. It was just very much all of them were together in this moment. So that's something that makes me really uncomfortable. And I think hopefully I'm not the only one. I think probably for many of us culturally, that's an uncomfortable idea of these people who are happy and celebrating being in the same space as the people who are weeping and neither of them are trying to control the other side or get them to change what their response is. And so I wondered if you could just kind of talk through what that looks like a little bit, because we're, we're not at a lot of building dedications unless we're your sister, Lisa, um, (laughs) where this sort of, this exact event happens. And yet I think there's a lot we can learn from the way that they celebrate. Yeah, and, and uh, to be really clear, the passage actually doesn't say that you could hear the mourning and you can hear the, the cheering or the celebrating. It says that they came together and made one sound. Hmm. So there was a unison, there's a sense of unity, even though they had different feelings. So here is what I've learned over the last several seasons of my life. Every time there's change, there's people who are mourning. Mm-hmm. The problem is, again, in our culture, mourning is looked upon as they don't have vision, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, they just don't see it. They just don't see it. They don't see the good things that God's doing. Or they're not on board. They're not on board. They're being disloyal. And um, because it requires people skills, because it requires peopling, mm-hmm. because it requires, to some degree, shepherding, we try to outcast the mourning, right? Like we don't mm-hmm. need them no more. In this story, it's really particular who the mourning people are. So they're mourning because they saw the glory of Solomon's temple and now they're seeing this new temple and it doesn't compare. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, uh, in Haggai, um, the writer actually comments and says, if you've seen Solomon's temple, it's actually understandable, mm-hmm. Right. Um, specifically because again, I think we feel like we're building something and in the building, in order to build this thing, we have to destroy yesterday, right? Like we got to move forward. And in order to move forward, we have to torch yesterday. 
And I just think that's bad theology across the board. I think it's bad practice. I think there's a way that you can celebrate yesterday and move forward into tomorrow. And you're still going to have people that once they recognize the change, it's not what I'm accustomed to. It's not what I'm comfortable with. Sometimes they'll, they'll mourn because uh, their weeping is, is um, a sign that they don't like what you've changed. Sometimes the weeping is a sign that they don't like who you've become in the change because often what we're building changes us too, right? And in both cases, I think Romans would tell us if they're weeping, then our job is to weep alongside them. And if they're celebrating, our job is to celebrate alongside them, right? That we mourn with those who mourn and, and weep with, and celebrate with those who celebrate, those who have, are in seasons of joy. So I say that to say, don't be surprised that once you have built, that there will be people who mourn. Now, Haggai also gives us a pretty big warning that if we're not careful, although mourning is natural, mourning should only be for a season. Mm-hmm. That, that, that the power of the God that we serve is he transforms that season of mourning into seasons of dancing, which I love that picture and I wish we had more time because we could get into that. But in that transformation, if we are not careful, we extend seasons of mourning and they keep us from the work. And Haggai was quick to say, mourn all you want, but don't let it stop you from doing the thing that God's called you to. So I think in both ways, first of all, as a person who may be in a season of mourning because there's a lot of change around you, be careful to not allow that mourning to keep you from progressing into the next season. And then for the person who's leading change, be mindful that that mourning isn't bad. They're just mourning because you changed the thing that they've celebrated. And then this doesn't even mean that they're not with you. Matter of fact, a lot of times the people who have mourned are the people who've been passionate about what you're building. Yeah, I mean, they're there in the, in the there. building process. They Absolutely. didn't stay behind. No, they could have. And they could have, to your mm-hmm. point, they could have stood in Babylon, but they chose to come anyway. And, and again, with the right motivation, you can move them and be, of course, used by the Spirit of God to help them in their season of mourning. And that season of mourning changes. And when it changes, now you have even more passionate people equipped for what God's doing in you. And what we don't like to do is this. We don't like to think of the day that God stirs someone's heart to change the thing you built. Mm-hmm. I want people who've been so invested that when that change comes, they're like, this is going to be good. But I do kind of mourn what we've built. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to spend a minute here because God did some great things. And, but once we're done, we're going to move into the future. Yeah. One of the things you actually stopped right before this in the Haggai passage, but you had it in the notes um, that I think is the reason all of this is possible. So he comforts the people. He says, be strong, all of you people still left in the land and now get to work which is kind of to your point, like it's okay to mourn, it's understandable, but get to work. And then he says, for I am with you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. My spirit remains among you just as I promised when you came out of Egypt. And that idea that God's spirit doesn't change, who God is doesn't change, and God's presence with his people doesn't change, even if everything around it might look different I feel like that's the the crux of everything, like why you can eventually get to the point where even if you're you're honest in your mourning and your grief, you can get excited about what God is doing now because it's the same spirit at work. Well, again, back to a full circle moment, like what we talked about at the beginning. It's because I'm never more in love with what I'm never more in love with what he's calling me to build 
than the person who's called mm-hmm. me to build. Absolutely. I want to make sure that my heart is always right before him. And if, if he tells me to build it and the next day tells me to tear it down, I'm still in love with him. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's critical. Yeah. Yeah. So where are we headed? Oh my goodness. Listen, <laughs> y'all. Listen, this, I have been waiting for this part. We are going to like, and it's like three to four chapters. Like I'm trying to taper it down, but I can't. It's just so, <laughs> it's so good. This is where the drama comes, where, where all of the, the, the locals who have a hard time with the idea that the children of God are rebuilding, they step out, they try to get it canceled. Um, they, they, all the haters come from all over the place. <laughs> I used that phrase Sunday and instantly regretted it. Um, but all the enemies, uh, you know, kind of haters going to hate. They, <laughs> I regret it even more now. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, you're welcome. Um, so it, it, how do you, how do you deal with people? And again, I said it earlier in the podcast, like you're going to get some no's. So how do you handle when people see what you're building and flat out are like, I don't like this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do everything I can to stop this. And even the deceptive ways they do it. Cause like, it's not like they, they kind of start off low key. It's a little sleazy. Like we can help you build. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. It's a phenomenal read. If you haven't, if you haven't read through the book of Ezra, you might want to do it this weekend before we get here, but it's a lot of fun. Again, we're six, we'll be six. Uh, I, I want to say we'll be up to chapter seven or six or seven trying to figure out where we're going to put a pause in it. Um, and we still haven't met Ezra yet. So it's crazy. It's I awesome. love it. I cannot wait. So we'll be here Sunday, 9 and 11. Hope to see you then. Have a great week. See you later. Mm-hmm.